name is Mark Larwick. I've been at the church for six years. Uh, we have three kids that are ages six, eight, and four. And uh, so, yeah, we're usually chasing them around <laughs> during Sunday morning to try to make sure they're in line. But no, we've really enjoyed just being a part of the church and just give everybody a little bit of background on myself. Um, I grew up in Ames. Um, I was a math teacher for a couple of years uh, in central Iowa here. And then I went to seminary in Dallas, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, for four years. Worked in a church in Arkansas for a couple of years. And then um, I won't get into all the details, but we were like, you know, I think we should probably move back to Iowa. So we've been back here in Iowa for six to seven years. And uh, I work at Principal Financial Group. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to get into just my story with the background of it, if that ever comes up sometime. So just introduce myself here. And uh, just sat down with uh, Todd and Travis a little while back, and we said, you know, is there, would there maybe be something that would be helpful for other people within the church just to, to dig deeper into the sermon? So we thought we'd try this a couple times, and if it's a helpful, then we might consider redoing some more. Um, but yeah, just give this a shot, and we're learning as we go, so we'll see how it goes tonight. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, so this is the purpose, as I said, the purpose is kind of to recap the sermon, but to dig deeper into it. Um, and I, I wrote a few notes down from the sermon. One of the things I just want to start off by asking Travis was you said the text really impacted you a lot yeah. you know, over the last several weeks as you, as you studied it. So can you just uh, explain a little bit more about the things you learned and, and how it impacted you? Yep. I won't review the sermon because you guys hopefully were able to listen to that. But um, I think what I learned from studying the text was at face value, I thought it was a very simple verse right? Your, your heart and your flesh may fail, but God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. I, it kind of, I would say five weeks ago, I kind of thought, oh, this will this will be easy. I know exactly where this verse is going. And so I just made a commitment to read the chapter every single day. So that was for about four or five weeks. Um, and uh, several days I would read the chapter in multiple translations, ESV, CSB, uh, NIV, New King James, New American Standards. So I just wanted to read the entire chapter in its entirety. And what I learned from that was the text came alive. Obviously, the Word of God is alive and active, and God did exactly that. And so I would say the sermon I preached was completely different than what I thought I would be preaching five weeks ago. And that's just the beauty of the Word of God and and the the Holy Spirit at work in our in our hearts and our lives. And so. I would have told you five weeks ago, this was a sermon for the people. And then when I preached, it was a sermon for me. God really used the text to show me my own anger, my own frustration and bitterness towards 2020 and the circumstances that have come. And so I'm just so grateful for God's work of using his word to refine us and purify us. And, yeah. and he did that to show me that he has to be my strength and my portion forever. It's not just a sermon you preach to people. Does that make sense, Mark? Yeah. Um, like what, what did you expect to be preaching five weeks ago and how was that different than what you ended up preaching? I would have assumed it would have been health stuff or depression. You know what I mean? Like your, your, your health. Yeah. Your strength is fading. Your heart is fading. So it would have been like, for those of you that are sick, for those of you that are really struggling emotionally, you need to make God your 
strength in your portion. And I think what I learned was the psalm touches every aspect of physical ailment, emotional ailment, just frustration and bitterness. And I thought that was really beautiful how the text came alive so that everyone who ever reads Psalm 73 has to say, this applies to me. Yeah. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I mean, anger is a common emotion for every human being, no matter what causes that anger. Psalm 73 addresses that. So yeah. uh, that's, I think one thing that I learned yeah. for sure. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, so just kind of let you, know, you guys know what we're going to do is discuss a few things amongst ourselves. And if there's questions, you guys want to jump in after a while, uh, if something we say triggers a question in your minds where we're definitely open to do that. Or if you just want to jump off a of mute and ask a question in the middle of it too, feel free to do that as we don't have any specific agenda of things we have to hit. So one of the things I thought was really striking that you said on Sunday, Travis, was that the end is more important than the present. So um, Travis and I sat down last week just to kind of talk about what the sermon might be like. And we talked about different points that we might be able to make tonight to, to kind of go deeper. And we're going to hash those things out here. Um, one of the things that we kind of noticed as a theme of all those is really perspective. And I think yeah, I heard that word multiple times in your sermon on Sunday, right? Perspective. And that has to do with the ends being more important than the present. So um, we're going to look at really three things here um, that we think help foster perspective and give us perspective as we go throughout life and trials. I think back to one of Todd's sermons. This was probably two or three years ago. He used the the word pre-praying. Um, I mean, if we're not going through a trial, like we're going to go through one, it's only a matter of time. So whether you're going through something right now, things to help you have perspective and foster perspective. And if you're not going through something major, which we're all at least going through 2020, nothing else uh, to kind of prepare to have perspective in the midst of that. So um, the first, so these three things, I think kind of follow the summary outline of the text, as you said, verse one in Psalm 73 had to do with God. Uh, verse two in, in Psalm 73 had to do with ourselves. And verse three um, really had to do with the problem at hand. So we're going to kind of follow that outline. And like I said, if you guys want to jump in at any point here, feel free to jump in. Um, but we think about the first thing, I think everything always starts with God. So when we look at perspectives and how we can have the right perspective in life, how, how do we really do that? And we talked about the word theology is having a good theology. So I guess just the question I want to start off with here is like, how would you define even what theology is? And then how do you develop a proper theology in light of Psalm 73? Yeah. So just to get you guys involved, I think what Mark's going to do is he's going to pitch me a question. I'm going to answer it first, and then you guys are going to answer it. So while I'm talking, you're preparing. Does that make sense? That's the goal here. Mark, you want to... Reiterate the question one more time. Repeat yeah. the question one more time. Yeah. How would you guys define theology? And then how do you think we can grow deeper in our understanding of theology? Yeah. So I think theology is what we think about God. What we think when we think of, about the word God or who God is. Um, and I think um, that is, I'm stealing a quote here, but that is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think, I think absolutely. As um, as I was preparing for this message, I think that was one thing that continued to um, come up at the surface is 
what you believe is more important than how you feel. I think that is just a truth in life. How you, what you think or how you believe is more important than how you feel. I've used the illustration before. I didn't come up with this, so I don't get any credit. But think about a roller coaster. If you love roller coasters, this won't apply. But if you're afraid of roller coasters, this will apply. If you're in line at a roller coaster, just terrified. And your friends coax you to get on the roller coaster and you, you're, you're in the seat and you're on the incline and you are completely convinced. You feel like you're going to die. But the engineers of that roller coaster know you're going to be fine. So what you, what you think or what is true, I guess I'll say, is more important than how you feel. And that is true about life. You, your feelings are a mess throughout life. And so you've got to have solid theology or truth to help you get through the ups and downs of life, similar to that of a roller coaster. Does that make sense? Anybody yeah. Make like sense? I heard a message once the speaker said, never doubt in the darkness when mm -hmm. you have discovered or built your life upon in the light, essentially getting at the same thing. It's like when you go through trials, it's easy to doubt and to question things. That's why it's important when you go into those things, just like the wise man who built his house on the rock, like build that foundation strong because when the storms come, like it's not going to blow over. Uh, so yeah, I think following that same idea. Mm -hmm. So what do you guys think? How do we build good theology? I've got a few, but I, I don't want to, and Mark, you've got a few yeah. too. So what do you guys think? How do we build solid knowledge about who God is? And if you're quiet, we'll talk. We're not afraid to talk, but <laughs> we're giving you the opportunity. Well, I think it, I mean, it starts with the word. I mean, it's, that's the, the one place, you know, that, you know, God's provided a, a revelation of himself. Now, I mean, interestingly, you know, we in our day and age and where we're at now, you know, have, you know, a thousand and one resources to help us get to deliver the word to us, you know. Um, so in some respects, we have it easy compared to um, the psalmists at the time, you know, and what they had to do. And, and I suppose, you know, you know, in the Old Testament time, you know, it started with people's personal experience and then that legacy just being passed on you know, from generation to generation to generation, you know, which, you know, which is why I like the Old Testament narrative so much, because it, it helps illustrate both the successes and the failures of that practice, you know, um, that, because I remember one time I did a, a timeline, you know, of, at the time of Noah and the Ark, and what was interesting about that timeline is that, Noah probably knew somebody who was alive at the same time Adam was alive, you know, because of the how long people lived back then. So you had a generational connect from the day of creation and Adam almost all the way up to Noah. So you had this, this line of people being able to communicate about who God was and what he did. Um, so, I mean, that's where obviously it, it started. And then as, the, the scripture was recorded and the law was recorded, then it became this 
thing that God gave the people, and he, and he hammered over and over and over again, hey, this, you know, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, you know, so that you can make your way, make your way prosperous and successful. And so God understood that in a way we do as people need to practice correct brainwashing. You know, we need to wash our minds with what's true. Um, and that starts, starts with the word, just that picture of him. So, um, you know, and that kind of that, that quote by Tozer is one of the first thing that popped in my mind too, when you asked that question about theology, you know, and he says, you look at somebody's life and, you know, what they think about God will define who they are. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's where it starts. And, that's great. Thank you. And I like your point too. Just, I mean, it always starts with the word and that's where it is, but there, there's other things that can come in and influence our theology. So, I mean, we're going to bleed into this a little bit later, but other people experience this is a source, I mean, source of theology. Like you have to interpret that in light of the word, but it's something that we need to, to look to uh, how have other people learned about God through what they've gone through is that's, a support beam that can be used to build to, to support and build our theology. Any other ideas? I see some faces out there. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna say. I I think we <clears throat> we run the the danger. I mean, we're we're creatures that tend to fall on one of two sides, two extremes, and I think we tend to either be on the camp of or on the side of theology is not that big of a deal. It's not that important. Um, so we keep everything real simple. We don't really dive deeper. And then there's the other side where, like Pete said, it's 2020. We have thousands of resources for, or if not more millions of resources for theology. And so we get caught up in the, the academic side of it, the, like learning the theology proper and all this like terms and definitions and everything. And then we get caught up in that and guess what? We're not reading our Bibles very much, but we're reading a bunch of theology books. And so I think we, we need to be careful to make sure, like, like he said, like that we're anchored in the word, because if you're not anchored in the word, those theology books are going to do nothing for your heart. You know, that those theology books don't have the power to transfer your heart or uh, transform your heart. Only God's word does. So I think, yeah, you got to start there and that's gotta be your basis for you before you start diving into Tozer and Spurgeon, you gotta, you gotta be anchored in God's word first. Yeah. So here's a question for Travis, like some of us go through different stages in life where we're just a lot busier. So I mean, I mentioned our kids are eight, six and four. Yep. It's like between work and kids, we just got back from softball practice like a little bit ago. Um, do you think it's ever okay for like people to go through a busy stage in life and just be like, you kind of like Tanner said, you know, I, I only have X amount of time right now. Like I'm going to start with the word and like, that's just, my main source of theology or should we ever feel bad for not having time to dig deeper in other things? Um, you do have some time. That's what I would probably say. I, would, I wouldn't want to let, let anyone off the hook. You, you're, we're not so busy that we have no time to study. Um, I think a big shift in my life came, even though I work for the church, so I have no excuse to study and to be in the word. But, uh, I think a big shift came to me with, with, with my car rides. I fell in love with podcasts and sermons and Bible audio probably eight or 10 years ago. And my Bible knowledge just skyrocketed when I, when I learned to turn off the radio and to turn on something edifying. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with music, but 
I learn more from sermons and Bible audio, and you can listen to the, the entire Word of God on your, on your drive, and that will increase your Bible knowledge or turn, sermons that we just mentioned. So you do have time, whether it's one minute, five minutes, or half hour. Everybody has some time. And so just what do you do with your time? Yeah, I, I would probably push back a little bit and just say, like at nighttime, what are you doing right before you fall asleep? Grab a book and read, or you know what I mean? Yeah, I think we are busy. And so sometimes you have an hour every morning and sometimes you have five minutes every morning, but use the five minutes for, for spiritual growth. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think sometimes some of us, me included, say, you know, I don't have time for this. But then I don't know if it's whether you said this on Sunday or a different time, examine the amount of time you're spending on social media mm-hmm. or watching a TV show and that time adds up pretty quickly. And like you said, with the technology we have today as a double-edged sword and that we have lots of resources available yep. and we can listen to a quick podcast or split a podcast into thirds yep. and, and listen to it. Um, so you want to examine how you're using that technology well yep. to, to really yeah, foster, like we said, we hear perspective growth in, in theology and all these things. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Any, any other resources you guys would point to? I wrote down a few. Tanner made fun of old dead guys, but I was going to recommend old dead guys because I think <laughs> I've learned a lot from. When did I do that? You, you just pushed us towards the word, which is the right. Uh-huh. I think I have learned so much from a few men um, that have helped me just go to a deeper level that I'm able to go on my own. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, you open up Romans and you'll get certain depth, but then other men will help you get to a depth you wouldn't get there on your own. And I just think I've learned so much from a few men like Tim Keller and R.C. Sproul, uh, Michael Horton, and Martin Luther. Those have just been some of the, I would say those have been the four men that have shaped me the most. I'll never meet them, but I would say they have discipled me, and I'm so grateful for them. And I like that you have a different historic, like it's not all people in the present. I feel like sometimes we can get trapped into the celebrity pastors. Yep. I'm going to listen to them and read their books. And one of the things I've been challenged with recently is just growing in my understanding of maybe what people believed historically. I think we fall into this recency bias of like whatever people believe today is, is correct because we're more enlightened than others. And sometimes we don't recognize the thoughts of our own culture influencing us. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the law, of third, the law of thermodynamics would suggest that we are far from enlightened. We are less enlightened <laughs> than the people were. <laughs> yeah. We're more chaotic now and more scatterbrained now than the just because of more because we have so much static and so much noise in our lives yeah uh, most people are not as clear thinking and clear-minded as as our forefathers were isn't that sad i was talking to somebody this week and they said you know i just got power back today like after a week and just makes you think like people hundreds of years ago how was life lived? There was no electricity, um, printing press. I mean, it's re- a relatively new invention in light of how long we've been here for. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes we fall into this trap of, of thinking we have it all down or it's all about today. Mm-hmm. 
I wrote down one, one resource that our family loves. Um, there's something I was exposed to in seminary called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. That's just mm-hmm. a short commentary. Um, so to aid my wife and I in just reading passages that, I mean, there's, there's resources all over the board, as we've said, but just something simple that um, a few sentences here and there. It's a little bit more than like an ESV study Bible, something like that, which I think is a great place to start if you don't want to to get overwhelmed with the academic side of things. Uh, so it's kind of something in the middle that we've relied upon over the years. Yeah, that's my go-to as well. Because I have, a, I have logos, my logo software that I use when I do my Bible study. So it's kind of nice. I have that available there so I can have my version there, click to it, and it gets you right to it. It's kind of nice. So. Travis, do you have any other thoughts on uh, theology here to start? We might potentially circle back to it here at the end, but just keep things moving. Anything else? No, I think that's been great. Any other resources? I see Dan and Melinda. You guys have any resources? And Bethany, do you guys have, what 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 has helped shape your theology? No worries. We can keep moving. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, next topic that we talked about, and I think this is especially timely with small groups about to be starting here within the next month or so, um, it's just what's the role of a healthy Christian community in your life? Um, and that partially plays into the first one, I feel like. So um, how does a healthy Christian community with your small group or whatever avenue we want to explore um, really help shape your theology too? So um, Travis, do you want to tackle that first? Like, first of all, what does a healthy small group look like? Yeah. And then how does that help us in the midst of trials and difficulties? Yeah. We all know this um, quick phrase uh, from the word of God, which says iron sharpens iron. And I think that's just so, so true. We all, we, I mean, this is the catchphrase of first family church, but we grow in community. And that has just been the story of my life is I'm better when I'm around others who push me in and hold me accountable. And, and that, I think that's absolutely true. You can, even in Psalm 73, um, he mentions, I, I studied this a little bit, and he mentions that when he went to the, to the sanctuary of God and every commentary I read on that referenced the people of God. He didn't go into the holy of holies. He, Asaph wouldn't have assumed that anyone could go into the holy of holies where he would have been alone with God. He had to go to the house of God where the people of God would have been. And so that's a quick reference to the need and the importance of community. Um, he would have surrounded himself with the noise of sacrifices. He would have been surrounded himself by the audible prayers of the people, of the, even the Gentiles who weren't allowed in the inner courts, but were out the outside courts who wanted to worship. And so there's something so important about our need to be around others who have the same faith as us and who are desiring to grow with us. And so when we weep, they weep with us. And when we mourn, they mourn with us. Um, and I think many of the benefits of community is, is we were made for community. You were, you were created for community. So I think that's one piece of it. Yeah. 
Here's a follow-up question for you. Do you yeah. think technology is making it easier or harder <sighs> to have <laughs> Christian community? Because, I mean, it's right at our fingertips. Yeah. And yet, I don't know, is it just me and thinking that we're sometimes getting further away from each other or, yeah. or not? I'd love to hear your guys' answer on that. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Is, is technology a gift and a blessing when it comes to building community? I think that's a great question for you guys to answer. I think it can be a blessing just because it's easier to connect with people, but at the same time, you can almost spread yourself too thin by having so many relationships that you don't really, I don't know, build a solid, like close-knit community because you have so many people that you're talking to and or like people have expressed their needs to you and you have some people like needing things or you need, I don't know, you just have a lot of too many, um, too many relationships sometimes almost. Yep. Cause I know me, sometimes I get caught up with relationships and I, <laughs> and I wear myself out. <laughs> so any advice on how to keep yourself from getting spread too thin? Listen to my husband when he says, just say no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think probably just making, I think having an actual physical small group has been very helpful just because I have those, that, those core people that I can um, focus on relationally. And yeah. yeah. I think it's made it easier for people to feel connected, but harder to have real connection. So you follow all these people on social media, you see all their posts, you see, you know, with stories, you see, very minute details of people's day and you're like, I'm connected to this person. And then small, right, small group yeah. sign up comes up and you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. But you're not really having meaningful connections. You're not having meaningful growth. You're not having meaningful community. So. Right. Well, that even came up in the meeting yesterday and Monday on Sunday, Travis, we were talking about small groups and those that aren't still aren't comfortable meeting face to face, you know, and, and might do it over zoom and, and Jeannie and I were talking about that going, you know, that the technology has been great when the circumstances, you know, create a, a unique dynamic. So it has been nice. It was nice to be able to use Zoom to have our small group meet when we did. Um, but it's still quite sterile. And it like Jeannie kind of commented how like, yeah, you're all kind of together in this one big cluster, but you never have that opportunity to have this little five minute side conversation with somebody you know, um, where you really kind of connect. And, and even for me, you know, I've been, you know, working remotely, you know, with my job since the middle of March. And my company's not, we're not going back to the office for the rest of the year. Um, they made that decision that for the whole rest of the calendar, you're working remotely. And people always ask me, how do you like working from home? And my answer is, oh, it's okay. Because I, I liked, I like being in the office. And I'm a, I'm a developer, a programmer in our you know, the, the framework we operate in is this agile development model, which is best when you're involved in face-to-face -face communication and you're with your development team in a nice tight area where you can talk to one another. You can roll over in your chair and look over somebody's shoulder, what they're doing and, and collaborate. And though we can do it via Zoom, it's not the same. It's still, it's just not the same. It's hard to really solve problems with one another remotely as much so you know it's so technology it's it can be it's, it's been good with especially with the whole COVID thing um and provided opportunities that 
you know, and I think First Family's done a great job at leveraging those things, or I know there's a lot of other churches that just haven't had the ability, and they haven't been able to do anything remotely, and so that's even harder, but um, it's, there's no substitute for, for, I think, being face-to-face -face with people, so. Yeah, I had this conversation with somebody uh, a long time ago, like this was probably 10 years ago, just about the value of face-to-face -face interactions, and the person said to me, you know, I think that says something about the incarnation. Like God could have, Jesus could have potentially done something else, but he came as a, as a physical man mm -hmm. and, and died a physical death on a cross and, and raised again physically. And there's, mm -hmm. there's a value in that, um, that I think that we're experiencing a lot of things digitally and like, that's, that's okay. Like you said, Pete, like, it's okay. Um, and it kind of is what it is right now. But I think, yeah, there's there's something about the, the physical interaction and face-to-face -face with people that it's, it's a little bit different too. Yep. Anybody else? What are the pros and cons of technology and building community? This um, is Melinda. The one thing I think has happened through this um, technology and everything, um, I think we're losing connection with people I think you can stay connected but I think you lose connection to the people you see that may not you may not um have phone numbers for and stuff like that right good point Melinda hmm. yeah I was, I was also going to the pastor in Bondurant um at the family camp this past weekend and he worked at principal and he said you know I probably one of the things I liked most about the office is I would just run into people and, and see them and have a short conversation and that sort of thing that maybe you know some people, you don't have their phone number, you just, you lose some of those sporadic interactions that you never know, like, I mean, God can work in any way he wants to, but I know he can work uh, in some of those just chance interactions and always be prepared to give a reason for the faith that we have. And it's, it's hard. I miss that too. Bethany, were you going to say something? Um, yeah, I'll say it. <laughs> I was reminded of um, one of the sermons that Todd had a few months ago when he was, it was about um, singing, congregational worship, and how like singing is like you're speaking truth to each other. And I think that that happens best in person too. So I think that there's a lot of value in that because you're getting a lot more of like the nonverbal communication and you're seeing people's reactions, you're seeing, you're hearing in their voice, you know, like the compassion and the love, you know, that, you know, God is using them to, you know, comfort you or, you know, when you're having a hard time. So I think um, just speaking truth to one another goes obviously better when you're in person, so. Dan, I saw you unmute yourself, so you were going to say something. You got a light in the room now, too, I see. <laughs> it was kind of dark there earlier. Right. Um, I just, um, I think it's a double-edged sword because um, it's, social media makes it easier for me to share my faith with my friends. Yeah. At work, but it also makes it easier for them to share their faith with me. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that I don't think fast on my feet. So sometimes it's like, wow, that's a really good point. And I don't know quite how to respond to that. So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I would, I, would, I would side more on the side of a blessing. Um, 
and I couldn't figure out the mute unmute thing earlier, but I was just going to say about my theology. Um, I, life, life is you know, what you believe about God is informed by your experience of God. If I say God is good, that's because I've experienced God's goodness. If I say God is sovereign, it's because I've experienced his sovereignty in my life. Now, you have to have the frame of mind. You see things through um, a godly, godly mindset, a theological mindset, not a secular mindset, but, you know, and I, I think that's um, prayer. You know, you're in a constant conversation with God and the things that happen, the things you witness, you're talking to God about this. You know, what are you trying to teach me through this? Um, yeah, how can I, how can I be a blessing to others through, through this? That's what I had to say. Yeah, that's good, Dan. Yeah. You're exactly right. I think our life experiences make us ask different questions that we wouldn't have questioned prior. My wife and I had a miscarriage and it made us wrestle with election and those type of things. We, I didn't wrestle with that, but prior to that life experience, Dan, you're exactly, you're exactly right. And so I think life experiences force you to dig. And I think that's a really good point. Yeah. It's easy to talk about theology and you might think one thing in your head, but then you're challenged with the reality of a specific situation and what do you really believe about it in light of the pain that you're dealing with or tough situation? Yep. It's like Psalm 73. Yep. <laughs> if you guys don't mind, I was going to point this out in my sermon, but you have to cut stuff. Stuff gets left on the cutting room floor. And this was one of the things I was going to talk about. I think verse 28 of Psalm 73 is interesting. It says this, but for me, it is good to be near God. I think that word near is really purposeful. I think that's a communal term. It is good for me to be near God, not just to know God, but to be near him. I think that's a community verse. And then it says, I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So this is, this is pre-technology, right? So there's in this verse, there's community with God and community with others. I don't think that's a stretch at all to say Asaph knew the importance of community. You, you don't need to just read a theology book about God. You need time with God. You need to commune with him. But then you don't stay there. You need to commune with others. The importance of without before Zoom, you had to go talk to somebody to tell of all of his works. And so this was just, I think, normal right for them to now go live life with people and as you live life with people brag about god's goodness to you and so i think that still applies today mark is yep. we need to spend time with god commune with god and then commune with others and facebook is a great tool to share our faith but i think if i want my neighbor to come to know jesus probably that's going to happen in a face-to-face -face conversation of some sort I don't distances, you know, we can talk about that, but I think he needs to know my heart for him. I love him. Oh, now let me tell you about how good God has been to me. And yeah. So I think that's, that's an important verse. Yeah. Yeah. So we think about community and 
I mean, ideally, community is always uplifting, mm -hmm. always a great thing for us. Um, and I, I think it's needed. I mean, in today's world, I think sometimes we go into it with the mindset of it's all about me and God and me and God. And like, there's a lot of truth to that, but God created us to be part of a church, to experience him in relationship yep. with others. But I mean, sometimes those relationships, those small groups have issues because of our messy people yep. and sinful people. So I'm sure all of us could point to, to negative experiences we've had. Like as somebody who's um, our small group pastor of the church, like what would you tell me or somebody else if we've had negative experiences with small groups at church in the past, kind of heading in yeah. to that time of year here? I, I think every group has those negative things. So we, we shared a video on Sunday and she bragged about her small group, but I think if she were honest, she would admit her small group wasn't perfect. She would be willing to share the other side of the story too. And so I think we've got to be paid people that are filled with grace. Um, all, we're all sinners living in community and just like your family, you've got to, you know, you don't always get along 100% of the time, but you love each other and care for one another. And so there's yeah. got to be grace inside of a small group. There's got to be understanding and, and room for errors and mistake. And we, we know that. We know that God uses uh, flawed people to be ministers of his mercy. And so yeah. I would just, yeah, you guys know this, but just, yeah, we have to be willing to allow people to fail us and not expect perfection and leave the church and leave your group every time somebody doesn't meet our expectations. And then I wrote this down too. In your small group, there's got to be give and take. And this is something Todd and I have talked about since I took this role is just to remind our people, there's always givers who want to just preach and preach and talk and talk and talk. And then there's always takers. People are just like, yeah, I'm the neediest person in the group. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And everyone's got to be both. For a strong, healthy, small group, I think, you're going to go in times where you're more needy than you're able to give, and that's okay. But I think if everyone enters a small group understanding, I need to be ministered to and I need to minister to, I think that's a really healthy small group. Yeah, I love that point. I mean, I think sometimes people can lose that balance as we think, why am I even going to a small group if it's a negative experience, if I have this negative experience in the past? Well, I mean, it's... Number one, it's not about you. It's yep. about how you can assist others, but you don't know what's going to happen to you in the next year either. I mean, mm -hmm. something tragic could happen, and all of a sudden, hopefully people will lean into you because there's that give and take, like you said. Um, I just want to share a couple things. So I thought about like heading into small group, just different things to remember. One thing that, that I feel like we've experienced over the years, not necessarily in our church here, but just in different small groups we've been in, um, just honesty, I feel like it's really hard. I mean, we talked about real relationships with others. That takes time. It takes commitment. And it just takes a willingness to be able to share. So, I mean, I feel like sometimes people can get upset if um, they feel like their needs aren't being met in a small group. But are they sharing their actual needs? Like we have to, to be parts, to have a strong relationship with others, with others we have to be able to, to bear our burdens with them. And I feel like, at least for me, I'm tempted to just pull it up by the bootstraps and just keep going on instead of uh, 
feeling being willing to share those things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one other thing I feel like I've noticed over time is people generally try to drift, generally drift towards comfortability, um, especially if you've lived in Ankeny for a long time or you have a lot of family close by, is sometimes we can lose our perspective on newer people into the group. Um, and so there's this tension you have to manage, I feel like, of trying to um, be welcoming and friendly to everybody, but fostering those relationships too, because you don't want the pendulum, pendulum to swing too far away, too far one way or the other. So I don't know, just as we, as I thought about small groups starting here in the next few weeks, just things I feel like we've seen and experienced and things we've wrestled with in our own hearts over time too. So I think Travis is going to throw it out here. Do you guys have any other thoughts just on, uh, on small groups, um, things that you've learned over the years or things to keep in mind as you head into this fall? Yeah. What, what creates a great small group in your guys' opinion? I think a little bit like what Chelsea said on that, in that video on Sunday was if you're like, no one's asking you to, I mean, get at first, first meeting, bear your soul. But if you are never willing to take that next dive deeper and get a little more transparent about your struggles, like don't bother. Like, cause you're, you're not going to, you're going to sit there if everyone else is opening up and you're just staying guarded and shielded, you're not going to, the only one that's going to hurt is you. You're not going to grow by not being transparent, not being real with struggles, not um, getting like real accountability on things. Like that's not going to help you at all. So I think if you if you just go to a group that just talks superficially, like might as well not meet because I don't think you're really going to grow um, without getting just real honest with people and transparent. And that takes humility, but because you're going to air your dirty laundry a little bit, but we all have it. So mm-hmm. And some things I feel like we've experienced too. Maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing with everybody, but maybe there's two other guys yep. you want to share with um, or developing those relationships, maybe through a text thread on your phones. Um, so I, yeah, those are things we've seen. Yep. Anybody else? What makes a healthy small group? The reason that Jennifer and I left our previous church and came to First Family was that our small group just got too big. Uh, it group of about 12 merged with two other small groups and suddenly there's a group of 75 and you can't be known in a, a group that large. Um, and I was in a small group with Mark and I think uh, what made that small group so good was just the shared experiences. We were all parents of, um, of young children and that's, that's real life, man. Um, so, uh, there's a lot of community thinking on there. I think another thing, I think, because, okay, Jennifer, we're not in a small group right now. And I think the reason is that Although with that group we had um, the same small kids, is that Jennifer and I are older parents. I'm 44 years old. And I'm not sure how 
Well, Marcus was not that old. So, um, I think that there's that too. Um, it's not just um, you have kids, but it's also, you know, the stuff I'm, I'm dealing with in life, like losing my parents and stuff like that, which hopefully, you know, Mark, you're several years away from that yet. Um, but you know, my friends from high school, they're going through the same stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have any other thoughts? I mean, I just think a healthy small group starts with people wanting to be there. I mean, I mean, that, I think that's part of it. I mean, you, you need to, you want to be there. I mean, that was something, you know, I mean, Jeannie and I have been with First Family for not quite a year yet. And, um, but, and I, I mean, someday I'll share the story. I know Todd, I got with Todd even before we came to First Family because I had some connections with him through Brianna and three of my four kids who were in, did music in school and stuff. And, and, um, but, you know, the, we should, the, our first Sunday was the 15th anniversary Sunday. And, you know, the next Sunday we made, went to, a, we we're in our small group, you know, because we knew that that's something we had, that's something we needed to have. Here we're making a transition from one church to another. And we knew that if we we're going to, we wanted to land well, you know, and, and land and, and, uh, and be a part of, you know, a community with others right away. And, uh, so that was, that, that was important to us that we wanted to be there. And, um, and so th that's a big part of it. People, and then that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic. You know, if people, it, it's hard to imagine somebody comes to something that they don't want to be at. And, and maybe that's the case, but at the same time, you also are willing to, you know, kind of buy into kind of the culture of your small group too. You know, I, I think, I don't know if it's Tanner talked about, you know, the accountability and, and, and being accountable with one another, if that's kind of a, something that's kind of laid out there as a, as a desire, as a hope, you know, that I mean, we're all in this together and we all want to grow and, and make progress in our, in our walk with Christ. If, if that's one of the shared values that we have together as a group, then what does it take to get us there? You know? And, and so that's, you know, that's something I'm wrestling with now is, is Jeannie and I are looking at launching a small group this fall is trying to figure out how we kind of capture that mindset, you know, and, and, uh, and help foster that with others. Not, you know, interesting in our group last year, we are like the, Jeannie and I are like the youngest ones in the group. I'm 56 and we were the youngest ones in our group, you know, and we're hoping to change that a little bit. We'd like to maybe skew that down a little bit. So maybe we can get some families of teens perhaps, you know, since my youngest now is 21, so we've kind of navigated the teen waters without any, nobody in jail at least, so we, we, we made it through okay. Um, so, not perfect, but um, we're thankful. So, uh, so yeah, I think people just have to want to be there, you know, and if, if you want to be there, um, I mean, that can foster that, you know, togetherness. There's an identity you have with one another, and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try to figure out how to, uh, you know, create that, or I can't create that. God's got to create that. Of course, this Holy Spirit's got to be working amongst us as a, as a little body within the body. But um, yeah, I just 
can enjoy one another and create a dynamic, create a setting that, that is welcoming and, um, you know, just provides a, fosters a safe place for people to be. So. That, that's interesting, Pete. One of my prayer requests has been that COVID, the uh, social distancing, would create a need for community. Hmm. Not, where small groups are no longer a program, they're a necessity. Hmm. And I think First Family has that in our DNA, but I'm just praying that this social distancing, quarantining phase that we're in creates a, a burden in people for, for the, they long for it. Like, yeah. I just want to get in somebody's life and are they're living in the front yard like i need social interaction and i need people to be in my life so that's that's how i'm praying pete and kind of that's exactly what you said is yeah i'm committed to it because i need it and i would i would love if that would be one of the results of this i know it's going to be hard because of germs and all those things but but if people know they need it we'll, we'll figure it out yeah, and kind of going back to what we said earlier, it's easy to have surface relationships, but people yeah. recognizing their need for deeper relationships. And I think that's an opportunity we have as a universal church um, going forward is something to distinguish us from the world is if we can demonstrate that we have those real relationships and then somebody, whether they're a Christian or not, steps into a small group and recognizes the distinctive community there and the different types of relationships. I think it can speak a lot to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's good. Um, all right, let's go on to our last point here. We'll wrap it up. We might not get to all of it this one here, but uh, contentment. So, I mean, we've talked about God. We've talked about um community, um, the specific situation that Asaph was dealing with in Psalm 73 here to start was just discontentment, not understanding the reason why the wicked were prospering and, and he wasn't. So, I mean, I think all of us here, I think in Ankeny in 2020 have to deal with discontentment to some degree, at least as there's a lot of people with a lot of possessions around us, so we can look at people in different life stages, people with maybe we wish we had um, maybe different relationships, uh, deeper relationships with people. Sometimes we can look at our jobs, wish maybe we had more prestige or, or power. There's all, there's all sorts of arenas we can look at and what this contentment looks like in our lives. So regardless of the arena, how would you say that you foster a heart attitude of contentment, regardless of what the extra external circumstances. Yeah, I'll start again if you don't mind. You guys, you guys chime in. Um, I I mentioned this in the sermon, and I think it's just continuing to to be true, which is is gratitude. And I think when you understand gratitude, it, it goes to a deeper theology, which is an understanding of what I deserve. And so I think a lot of times we think I deserve more or man, they have a great life. I, I would love that life. I deserve better. Um, if we understand the theology of sin and understand what sin is, the um, offense against God and what the penalty should be or is for an offense against God, I think that strips away all of our greed and envy for more. So I think going back to where we started, good theology helps fight discontentment because you realize everything I have is a gift from God. He's a good father who 
graciously pours his mercy and his grace and his love on his children, which I'm just a mere recipient of his mercy. I think that helps fight contentment. I'm a wretched sinner who deserves his wrath. Now everything around me becomes an amazing gift that I get to be just a, a, yeah, a recipient of or a manager of, including my, my wife, including my kids, including the house he gave me. Like, I don't deserve any of that. I deserve to be spending eternity in hell. So I think gratitude helps fight. I sound like a broken record a little bit, but no. I, think, I think that fights discontentment. I remember Todd said something a few years ago. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it was something to the effect of, you know, every day I wake up, and I remind myself that I'm a sinner who isn't deserving of anything but help. Uh, God's grace, he has saved me. Uh, and that reminds me, like everything I have today is essentially a gift. So that's one thing I feel like that's helped me is when I feel like I deserve something or I, I think you mentioned that exact wording is like he got, Asaph maybe felt like he deserved something that somebody else has is I feel like we, I don't know. I feel like I hear that like somewhat regularly from people um, is, you know, you worked really hard. You deserve that. Like you, you got through college, like you did great on this project. Like you deserve that bonus. You deserve that job. Like you deserve a good and happy life. And the reality is, like you said, I mean, we don't deserve any of that. It's just by God's grace that all the gifts are given to us. And I feel like that's helped me more than anything over the years. Not that I don't battle discontentment, but just helping me keep perspective. Yep. What about you guys? Any thoughts on how do we fight discontentment or, or greed or envy for more? Well, Travis, I think you, I mean, during your message, I think you kind of, one point you brought up that I, I appreciated greatly was um, the aspect of, of looking at the end, <laughs> seeing the big, the, the big picture, you know, um, you know, and, and I think the Lord forced, I, you know, I, I try to keep my mindset, you know, toward, okay, Lord, you know, um, one million years from now, um, when I've had an opportunity to be with you 999,900 and plus some odd years, this life is just going to be just this little blip on the screen that's going to be. And honestly, I keep wondering to myself, if once we're in the presence of the Lord, if anything, if we're even going to care, if, if anything from this earth, it's even going to be an issue, if we're even going to care, you know, at all. And, and, um, and, and that's, that's helpful to me because it is easy to get caught up in the now. And stuck in the now, and and, and allow things to to uh, to to gain to to grab our attention and grab be fixated on, and uh, and you know, and, and I think something else that's helps build my theology. Now, I have to admit, I I have not been very diligent with it. I haven't been very disciplined in this much at all in the last you know really a few years. Is but just the discipline of of going outside and, and walking and praying out loud to the Lord and just talking to Him. And that's something you see, you know, I know really the last couple, several weeks I've been starting to study through, read through the Psalms in my morning times. And I'm, you know, 
going to decide I'm going to take them in chunks. I, I'm taking the first 10 and I'm almost done with Psalm 10, but it, I, it, I was appreciated that because one thing you mentioned how, you know, the Psalms can either kind of come in the form of like a prayer journal, which it seems like a lot of David's Psalms tend to be that way. Um, and, and, and that's why I appreciate you just see David just kind of giving us a glimpse into his kind of just prayer devotional life with the Lord and, and trying to kind of model that in my own life. And, and, uh, and asking God just to help me realize and remember that he is God and I'm not, that he's, you know, he's big and I'm not. And that for me, I think the thing that God, God challenged me with this thought a while back that honestly, I've, I'm not entitled to anything. I'm, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even deserve to be alive. The fact that I even exist as a person and have life in my life is completely something God allowed. Uh, God didn't owe me my life but he gave me my life amazingly. And then by his grace, he's allowed me to not only have life, but then to have life in Christ as well. So, I mean, it's just like, God owes me nothing, you know? And, and, and uh, it, the, the minute I get so fixated on that, you know, and God does different things in my life to help me to kind of help kind of lovingly smack me down when I need to be smacked down, you know, but when I, you know, start getting my eyes too fixated on, on stuff, and, um, and, uh, so yeah, I just, to me, it's just perspective, just doing what we doing, what it takes just to, to keep the big picture in front of us. And, and, you know, I think you, you, you've talked about that, say funerals are, are, you know, you know, better than, you know, weddings, you know, and it seems like our, our small group with being a bunch of older folks probably had like three or four couples had parents pass this last year in our small group, you know, and, and my wife's dad died, you know, right before, right before Christmas. And, and so, yeah, so we've had a chance to kind of um, see that big picture. So, yeah, just keeping my perspective right. And, and, you know, the older I get, it's like, oh, wow, Lord, you know, I'm getting, you know, like closer, way closer to the end than I was to, than I am to the beginning now. So um, just keep my mindset fixed right. And, That's good. I think, I think fostering a, a grateful heart is huge. Um, I think, just even like getting in a rhythm of thanking God for things in your life can go a long way to not to being okay with those things God has given you. Because when you're thankful for the little house you have and grateful to God that he's given it to you, it's a lot harder for your heart to be discontent with that when you're grateful to God for that gift. Even if it is something that may not be nice quote unquote to someone else, or luxury someone else it's a gift from god to you and the more we get our hearts in rhythm of saying god i don't deserve any of this but thank you for all these things that's when we're going to be okay um in those moments when we're easy and when it's easy to be discontent and i think too you can um i mean the harder the next step harder that that is to thank god for the trials and the hard things and god thanks for using this to sanctify me um because that's going to help you with discontent in times when things aren't going well, regardless of how much stuff you have, things aren't going well, you can still hopefully build a rhythm in your life where you say, thanks for this, because it like personal example, Bethany and I can look back and say, God, thanks for uh, waiting to give us a spouse. We met each other or we got married later in life, you know, 28 or 27, 29. And, and well, later, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like later than we would have hoped. Yeah. And we wouldn't have looked at it as a ble blessing in that time. But looking back, we can say, God, thanks for that. Like you knew what you were doing 
And I think creating that, like a, like a fostering a grateful heart goes a long way and, and being content with what God, what God's given you. Amen. That's exactly how old I was and my wife when we got married to Tanner. So. Really? <laughs> yep, 29, 27. So. Yep. You were 27 and 28, so. Just don't wait so long to have kids. That old? <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm just speaking yeah. to the, you know, the Christian bubble that gets married at 22. Because all your like, friends like, were Like Travis already, and Casey, so. <laughs> you know, like right after college getting yeah. married. <laughs> now I look back and we're so thankful for those single years. Yeah. So. <laughs> I wish I could go back and slap myself in the face and say, be thankful for the time you have alone. <laughs> Melinda, how old were you when you got married? Just so we could prove Tanner wrong. We were 30 and 31. Oh, man. This is good. <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I would agree with everything they said. I love being married. Married, but my single years, I loved them, and I grew so much in Christ in those days. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, this has been fun, Mark. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate all you guys sharing, and uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. So, I don't mind if I pray. No. Let's close this out here, um, dear Father God. I thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for those of us who are able to make it, and just a conversation to um, learn from each other, learn more about you. Pray that you give everyone strength as we go throughout the rest of this week. Um, any struggles that we might be facing or ones that might be coming our way uh, in this year or upcoming years. Um, thank you for your goodness and your love. and Thank you for Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.